Today is June 5th, 2016, and this is episode 162 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good evening, Mr. Bell. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? How was uh, California? It was great. NASA did a cool event, and we saw or experienced five different sonic booms and learned a whole lot about how they're trying to make... Sonic booms quieter so we can fly supersonic over populated areas and got to bum around Edwards Air Force Base, which was awesome, and I could go on for weeks and I'll shut up now. It was a great trip, and I'm sorry I missed last week recording a show with you, but it was well worth missing. So did uh, did Maverick buzz the tower? I sound an honest closure about that. So <laughs> okay. It's kind of like, you know, I would be telling you no, he did not if he actually hadn't, but I cannot say yes, so that is my warranty canary, that I'm not saying he didn't. Uh-huh. Okay. No? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Fine. Whatever. It's very whatever. Co- very complicated. Yes. All right. Well, so uh, before we get into the stories tonight, I will remind you that the thoughts and opinions we express on this show are ours and do not represent those of our employers, uh, either past, present, or future. So, um, before we get, get in uh, into the stories, one thing I wanted to mention, and I, I tweeted this out, I've been reading this really interesting book. It's called Infrastructure as Code. And I know that most of the, uh, you know, most of the DevOps cloud people will be saying, well, it's about damn time. But I'll tell you what, it's really interesting. And uh, Now, to... is this sort of like software-defined networking kind of? Yes. Well, okay. right. The the software-defined networking would be the network side, but there's a whole similar construct on the server side. Hmm. And, you know, the more I read it, read it, it, it seems, you know, A, to open up some really dramatic capabilities from the perspective of, I mean, just, IT, you know, fundamental IT operations, but also security things. Uh, and then at the same time, I think it opens up vast new exposures that we never really had before. Well, I saw you tweeting about that earlier, and I was thinking about that, and I, I was thinking about a lot of organizations I've been in and and how traditionally security is so often a bolt-on or an afterthought or an, or an audit activity over IT. And I think for that to be successful from a security standpoint, we have got to get a closer relationship and a mutually respectful and and good working relationship between our RT groups and our and our security groups for you know to to start building in security at the beginning, which is a very cliched thing, but when you don't and you try to retrofit later, it's going to get worse and worse and worse as we go further down this path that you're talking about. And I don't I don't know how we're going to do it because I see so much animosity and tension in terms of priorities and workload. Uh, being pulled in different directions between the security guys and and your typical IT guys, uh, and it seems to be getting worse for most of the folks I talk to out there. Not better, except for some, you know, organizations. Yeah, cer- certainly see that in spades. I, I I do think though that 
as I as I have been reading through this, and you know, I certainly a lot of this stuff is very intuitive once you start, uh, you know, kind of going through it. The thing that strikes me is that I, I think there is a fundamental change afoot you know, in the you know in the IT industry, and um, at some point things have to change, right? I mean, I, I, certainly we can, we'll continue on, some organizations will continue on um, for a while, but I think at some point we cr we're going to cross the threshold where, you know, things are dramatically going to change because IT, uh, in the traditional sense and the, the way that it's been done, is, is just going to be too too burdensome. And, and so I think the the interesting opportunity is that now, like you said, we have this opportunity to kind of, um, you know, go hand in hand with IT and try to build things in a in a more secure manner. And I think it's particularly important because, as I mentioned, you know, th this new, I hate this word, paradigm. Oh boy! I uh, know. Um, Are it, you saying it's a shifting paradigm? <laughs> yes, has lots of synergies. Mm -hmm. um, it, it 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 has some just fundamental uh, exposures that we really haven't had. Any, you know, we just haven't had that kind of problem before or the, these kinds of issues before. Uh, and, you know, so I think we, we not only have to help mitigate those, uh, but also I think we have an opportunity as we embrace these new concepts to just make things fundamentally better. So, um, you know, more to more to come there. Yeah, it's, it's definitely intriguing, and, and I don't mean to be a naysayer. I just see this this cultural barrier to getting this right from a security standpoint, and oh, yeah. I, I think it's as much on security as it is on IT to make this shift to keep up with this new new way of doing things. No question, no and, question. You know, we're we're seen as the people who say no, uh, and often for good reason, but. Like anything, the business is going to do what the business is going to do. And we've got to find a way to stay relevant. And often that comes down to leadership decision-making. But nonetheless, it's we can also cause self-inflicted wounds if we're not careful. Got that right. So anyway, um, I, as I, as I uh, continue going through the book, which hasn't actually been released yet, I've, I, I have access to the pre-release book uh, through the Safari books online portal and it's it's really I mean it's not it's not complete yet but what what I've read so far is, is really great and I encourage people to read it it's uh, I, I don't have any association with the author in any way but I'm finding it fascinating so so that's the O'Reilly Safari yeah. book portal yep safaribooksonline.com which you have uh, said many many good things about and I just I today love just it. got access I so love it check it out I love it. Because I don't already have about 18 books stacked up on my bookshelf to read, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, it's 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 quite expensive, but uh, it's really good. So anyway, um, let's get into our stories. The first of which, I know, here we go. The first of which comes from ThreatPost, and the title is Team Viewer Denies Hack Blames Password Reuse for Compromises. And uh, th there was a couple of different stories over the past two weeks um, where maybe the attribution was misplaced so we had dropbox 
was was accused of having been hacked and all of their passwords disclosed. And it turns out that apparently uh, the, the problem there was password reuse from Tumblr or not entirely sure. And uh, and then this particular case here is uh, that there were some users who reported having been hacked, you know, with, with um, attackers clearing out their PayPal accounts and ordering crap on Amazon and, you know, whatever, clearing out their bank accounts and whatnot uh, through TeamViewer. And, uh, you know, TeamViewer, by the way, uh, I have kind of a love-hate relationship because m many of the major breaches I've ever worked on have had TeamViewer <laughs> play some aspect of it. And, you know, whether that's, whether that's the, uh, the, the, um, the Windows help desk scam, you know, trying to trick you into installing, you know, the, the victim to installing TeamViewer and, and letting the, the attacker access your PC or uh, somebody sets up a, uh, you know, a, a TeamViewer based thing as a convenience and, you know, use a, uses a weak password. But anyway, in this particular case, there was a, a um, an allegation, at least, that TeamViewer may have been breached and uh, people were, uh, attackers were accessing TeamViewer accounts. But uh, all indications seem to be that this is actually just uh, more password reuse. It, it seems a confusing and much complicated situation. There are a lot of TeamViewer uh, folks coming out of the woodwork saying, or customers coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, I had this happen, it started here. Something is clearly going on. Uh, but TeamViewer is emphatically denying that they had any sort of breach. Yeah. And, you know, everybody else in the brothers having password breaches right now. It's apparently it's the invoke thing to do. So, well, in MySpace, even me, MySpace found a way to be relevant again by being <laughs> breached. So, yes. I, you gotta love the PR firm who came up with that idea. Uh, you know, look, we're we're talking about MySpace. It worked, right? Well, they got their money's worth. You're you're talking about MySpace. I was trying. Not you to. just said it too. I had I had to because you. Br mm -hmm. Anywho, what what I'm wondering, and I have nothing to back this up, just pure conjecture, is I wonder if somebody somewhere on one of the underground forums wrote up some sort of attack script, uh, going after all the various creds that have been dumped, uh, sort of an attack pattern against TeamViewer customers. And there's you know, some sort of somewhat focused activity based on this underground plan to, hey, here's an easy way to go uh, access this other stuff if you've got all these other passwords. In other words, a way to leverage some of these password dumps going on. I don't know. I, it's, just, it's weird that we have this big spike in TeamViewer unauthorized activity, and it makes me wonder if something, some origin of it is, is coming from somewhere, or if this is just an organic thing that has just happened, if indeed TeamViewer hasn't actually been systematically breached. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, we, we, we don't really know what's going on, but it, it, it certainly, if it is a password reuse problem, it certainly smacks of the issue that Apple had with iCloud a couple of years ago, where they right. were you know, effectively letting unlimited retries. So, so the attackers were basically banging their, you know, the, their dump of email addresses and passwords against uh, you know, the authentication servers, and getting lucky. And well, not not lucky, lucky. But well, yeah, whatever. Lucky, lucky. Right.
Right. Well, you know, the other thing I would say about, you know, you're mentioning earlier about TeamViewer, you've got a love-hate relationship that it's been involved in a number of breaches you've, you've been involved with. I would just say, don't blame the tool, blame the victim. Wait, no, <laughs> that's not, you know well, what I mean. Yeah, I, I, what I, I guess, you know, the, the point I wanted to make there is that um, from an, from an enterprise perspective, or company perspective, we really want to make sure employees are not subscribing their workstations to a team viewer because it, you know, given the chance it'll happen. Some organizations use it as part of their, you know, productivity. I mean, I've seen it used extensively in various organizations as a way their teams work with each other. So maybe it's Uh, a matter of making sure that you secure it and use it properly. Oh, Man. I mean, at this point, I would be very, very skeptical of it, and I would, I would say you may want to block it for a little while, but at the same time, that could disrupt methodologies that your teams already have in place. So I don't know. I mean, it's, this is that difficult balance of if you've got a tool that's being used by your organization, you can't just outright block it without providing them some other methodology to achieve the same a goal of whatever they're doing. Yeah, I mean, you just leave, just leave uh, RDP right o- open to the internet. I mean, well, of course. Yeah. Who doesn't? I don't know. Team. I, I just have this vision of of uh, of TeamViewer, at least in the con the, the context of a company, it like playing with matches in a barn full of dry hay. I mean, you know, it might be fine, but damn it, when it goes up, <laughs> it's gonna be bad. You had a rough childhood in the 1800s, didn't you? I did. Mm-hmm. Yep, I did. Absolutely. So anyway, um, yeah, moving on to our next story. And this is a, a follow-up, and the title is Chubb Scores Victory in Key Cyber Ruling. And this one is on the businessinsurance.com website. Uh, so the story here is that P.F. Chang's, which we covered in the past, had, had been breached back uh, in 2014, had 60,000 some odd credit card numbers stolen and uh, they were basically charged back by a a couple of different banks including Bank of America and so um, so Bank of America sent them a bill for 1.7 million bucks and they paid it Uh, PF Chang's paid it and then they sent another bill for not for 1.9 million dollars uh, and P.F. Chang's paid that. Well, P.F. Chang's uh, filed a claim against their cyber insurance policy through a subsidiary of Chubb Limited, and uh, and Chubb denied it. So P.F. Chang's took the, this uh, subsidiary f- named Federal to court and you know basically said, hey, they're they're not living up to the obligation of the insurance policy. And interestingly, the judge found in favor of Bank of America, actually, I should say in favor of the insurance company, saying that Bank of America, um, who was the injured, you know, quote, injured party uh, deriving the the loss, which was ultimately being paid out by the insurance company, actually didn't suffer the kind of injury that was covered by the insurance policy in the first place. And and so it was, it was, it's an interesting problem because then you can say at least to me that the question is well what good is the policy 
Well, that's a very good point. And I think this is something that we've been kind of kicking around for a while now is this cyber insurance market is how useful is it truly going to be? If the whole concept is that businesses can shift liability off of themselves to their cyber insurer, but the cyber insurers aren't going to pay out, how useful is that? And I think this is the beginning of that figuring out all the boundaries and the case law that's going to go around this. Now, I'll be honest, this is a complicated case, and it seems like there may be some nuance here that is only applicable to this particular situation, and this may not truly you know, start to cast out over the entire industry. Uh, and I guess I'm not a lawyer. I'm not even close to a lawyer. And the way that the article was written was a bit confusing as well, but it, it appeared to be that the judge in the case said, look, P.F. Chang's wasn't injured from a privacy standpoint, which is apparently the the section of the insurance that they were trying to get paid out on. Is that is that how you read yeah, it? it? Was yeah. So so they had a the the, the statement or the clause in the insurance um, in the insurance policy basically said that there were a couple of different things that would be covered, and one of them was. Uh, a privacy injury, and and so that that was the the thing that P.F. Chang's was claiming, and and so actually that P.F. Chang's itself wasn't injured, right? And at least in with respect, well, they to were this, monetarily injured, right? But not from the perspective of the, the you know this insurance policy. So the the issue right. is that. P.F. Chang's paid a bunch of money to Bank of America, and then P.F. Chang's turned around to their insurance carrier and said, hey, you know, we just sent a $1.9 million check to Bank of America. Uh, we'd like that covered under our policy, please. And the, the the insurance carrier said basically, no, Bank of America didn't suffer a qualifying injury, Right, Bank of America itself did not suffer a privacy, what's called a privacy injury. And I'm not entirely sure what defines a privacy injury. I can certainly think about in my mind, but we know it's not this, according to that. It's judge. not this. <laughs> That's so, right. So this policy didn't cover having to pay Bank of America the 1.7 and 1.9 million. So they didn't get paid, which. Wow. I, you know, obviously, it's a very mature market when businesses look at other types of insurance. They understand the clauses and they understand the market around fire insurance and business continuity insurance and you know, liability insurance, all that jazz. And I think this is going to start to shake out businesses trying to understand cyber liability insurance. Uh, as, as this is one of these painful lessons I think we're going to have to learn of what is covered and what isn't and why and how you ask for your policy to be constructed and what clauses are in there and all that good stuff that makes lawyers a lot of money. Well, I think that's right. And and it kind of points to, you know, I assume that P.F. Chang's had their legal team involved in the construction of the review of the policy. And kind of like on the IT side, you know, we, we often fall victim to a lack of creativity in in envisioning what can go wrong on our networks, I, I suspect we have a similar kind of problem here where we, we have a lack of, of creativity on the part of the you know, the people procuring these policies because I, I you know I, I assume that this seemed like a really logical way to bound things to PF Chang's when they signed up for the policy. 
but in the end it wasn't it didn't cover what they ended up suffering and uh and so so i think that's you know and, and th- this just may be a case where we have you know the the the, the legal uh, the legal profession i guess has to get up to speed on on the different kinds of things that can happen because you know if you go to your lawyer and say hey uh you know here's this policy does that look good you know of course the first thing they're going to say is well it depends but once you get past right once you get past that um you know then i think uh you know that it that they have to have some uh you know some ability to i assume i don't know exactly how everybody uses their lawyers but uh you know t- to say well you know here's the kinds of things that this is um you're going to cover not going to cover is that okay with you and i i don't think that happened here and i think the takeaway for me uh, is that this cyber liability insurance or cybersecurity insurance is not an easy button. Yes. We're going we're gonna to have to be a lot more thoughtful and mindful around this. And, uh, you know, it's, we're at the beginning of that industry. Yep. I see it. That's right. All right. So moving on to our next story. And this one comes from CSO Online. And the title is, Will Your Backups Protect You Against Ransomware? And the thing, I mean, you know, it's it's hopefully pretty obvious that, you know, backups are what you need to do to help stave off the losses. And, you know, it's obviously not going to save you from ransomware, but it'll save you from but, the losses related to ransomware. backups done properly. Yes. However, that's not the thing that interested me most. Oh, well, what interested you most? I'm going to read it verbatim. Quote, still, according to the FBI, more than $209 million in ransomware payments have been been paid in the United States in the first three months of 2016, up from just $25 million for all of 2015. Holy cow. Yeah, and that's stuff that people admitted to the FBI. How much does this happen and nobody says anything to any of the authorities to track it? So, so, yeah, that's... um, that's some good funding for the people developing this stuff, by the way. You know, I, I assume that they're going to reinvest some of their uh, their cash into the uh, into the ecosystem. You think? <laughs> so, wow! But you know, basically, the the article kind of points out that you really you really do need to uh, have a good backup strategy in place that you test periodically. And not all backup systems are, are going to be resilient against ransomware because ransomware, well, you know, for instance, if you have a USB drive plugged into your laptop and that's how you run your backups and you get ransomware, you, you get your crypto locker on, um, you know, it's going to crypto locker your, your, your backup drive too, uh, which really points to the whole version, you know, cl- probably cloud-based backup type thing, which by the way... Yes, works really well if you're in, uh, you know, in, in a in a Western country. It doesn't work so well if you're in, uh, you know, in a in a market or in a country that has crappy bandwidth and or or really expensive bandwidth. There was a there was an interesting, uh, just completely aside but similar problem. There was a story about how uh, um, I don't remember exactly what the customer was, but they uh, they had a satellite internet connection. And one of their systems, one of their Windows 7 laptops, did the forced Windows 10 update over satellite. 
Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Uh, I, I got to yeah. say, you know, I'm not a Windows 10 hater, but the, the heavy-handed tactics of Microsoft is, is causing some unintentional pain with that kind of stuff. I mean, how difficult is it to check to see what kind of bandwidth they have before it downloads a big patch? And I don't mean type, I mean throughput, for instance. Or We're moving away from people having full control over their own desktops. And, and that's bad. It has upsides, forced patching and security, but we are, we're moving away from people being able to control what's really happening with their own machines. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, it's, you know, we, we, we hated what happened with Windows XP going end of life. And no, I know. know this, this is, this is a, a foreseen consequence. We, how many times have we said, man, you know, these dumb people shouldn't be allowed on the internet. You know, they should be forced to patch. Now we're getting what we, what we bitched about. And we being a broad term. So, yep. Yeah. Careful what you wish for. Indeed. So, um, the, the next story we have, um, is a little bit related and it also comes from CSO online and the title is 93% of phishing emails are now ransomware. And, you know, the title there kind of says it all. It's a, It was a study done by FishMe, uh, you know, so put that in your pipe and smoke it. But they they basically <laughs> say, uh, um, you know, that it was up 56%, uh, it was up from 56% in December. Um, and that was up from 10% uh, the previous year. So uh, they, they're uh, like, I don't know if they have honeypots or what their what their methodology is, but um, they they saw 6.3 million emails, a 789 percent increase over the last quarter of 2015, and uh, and by the way that kind of matches everything I've seen, you know, both personally and um, you know professionally. It's this is a dramatically expanding enterprise. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, it, it makes too much sense for them not to go after this market the way they are. And yeah, of course, when we're getting this for a vendor, we do have to take it with a grain of salt. But this, I completely agree with what you said. This jives with my own anecdotal evidence, which of course is completely accurate at all times, uh, that this is where the market is pivoting. And and I really do feel we see this train coming. We can do things to stop it before it starts completely eviscerating our corporations. I don't think we're doing a good job of getting ahead of this train, but it is coming. This is one where we see it coming. We saw that it went after consumers first. It's pivoting at corporations. We see it coming. Now we just got to get our leadership on board with taking the appropriate steps to mitigate this risk. And, and or we are going to really regret it. This one's going to be ugly. And I don't see this going away anytime soon. This is such an easy monetization of security issues it makes so much sense for the bad guys to go down this path yeah and i i, I fear that we have yet to really see uh, you know the the full fury of of what is to come here i mean you know think about th i know somebody somebody on twitter was talking about this you know what about a worm you know a, a ransomware worm you know versus when's the last time we saw a worm right i mean that, that that's kind of old school but now you know, this kind of makes makes that concept make sense again. Well, I, I was reading the other day about uh, they were doing some research around a, a piece of ransomware that's self-propagating and, you know, spreads laterally like, quote-unquote, a worm. 
yeah. uh, in, an, in an organization, in an enterprise. So it's coming. It's going to get ugly. And I think we're going to get to a point where it's – what if I can crypto lock – well, or ransomware your BIOS? So even if you have good backups. Yep. You know, what – what if I can start getting into your GPU? What if it, there there are growing possibilities that are actually going to get down to almost hardware level locks if we're not careful? That's right. It's coming, and, and I don't. You know, it's again. I think I think we're only we're artificially constrained by our lack of imagination on what is yet to come here. And you know, I think the other tough thing is that. When I talk about this, some folks will, how do I stop ransomware? And the problem is you're talking about stopping the entire exploit landscape, right? Yeah. It's the entire concept of malware that you really have to stop. Right. It's, it's, you're asking, how do I stop malware? <laughs> right. Which is, you know, if that, if that were that easy, we wouldn't have most of the industry we have. So it's more a matter of how can you mitigate the risk and limit the damage? Yeah. Yep. And and of course there are things you can do to, to, to limit the spread of malware, certainly. But that really is you know, and, and again, keep in mind that the exploit vector is independent of the payload. So any sort of exploit vector could be used and then ransomware could be the payload or the downloader that drops could go get it. So it's there there is no one easy blinky box that magically fixes this problem. Oh, come on. There's got to be a blinky box. I, you're right. You know what? I'll work on that. <laughs> Some guard llamas. Absolutely. You know what? We need guard llamas, and then we need to have the red team ocelots go after the guard llamas and see how they do. Heck yeah. That's right. All right. Moving on to our next story, and this one comes from VentureBeat.com, and the title is Federal Reserve Bank Was Hacked More Than 50 Times Between 2011 and 2015. This is the clickbait portion of our show. Yes, it is. So, uh, um, and, and by the way, it's it's more or less totally devoid of any actual information, except that uh, the Federal Reserve apparently was hacked 50 times. I have seen some other articles that attempt to have more details, uh, but it is, again, very, very rough. Uh, my initial thought is, okay, what does it mean by hacked? What, what, what is their criteria for a security incident? What, you know, not all hacks are equal. I mean, did they get a piece of malware? Did somebody try to do a brute force guess on a password? What, what does this mean? I, I, I'm assuming, just based on the amalgamation of different things I've read, it appears that the 50 were some sort of successful intrusion but you know again it's it's kind of undefined and the whole point here is that there's a, a u.s congressional committee who has subpoenaed or i don't know if they've actually issued a subpoena or if they've just asked nicely for um, for additional information um so so apparently all of this came to light in a uh, in in a in response to a Freedom of Information Act request, and it was some ungodly large number of um, pages of data in response, which apparently was really heavily redacted, but I guess there was still enough information in there to determine, um, you know, what what happened, uh, or, you know, 50, the, the number 50. So, um, but this this 
particular, uh, it's the, the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology uh, is trying to get more information, including in an unredacted copy of the report. So uh, maybe, maybe more to come. I, I am going to guess that this will be heavily shielded from public view for, um, for various reasons. So uh, more to come. It will be interesting to see. You know, it's always interesting when 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 a uh, a public institution gets compromised because sometimes, not always, but we get to see a lot of uh, the gory details, which are you know interesting to analyze. Indeed. So. Um, well, we'll see. I the problem with this is that this gets very political very fast, and like I said earlier, how do you define a hack and Hopefully more detail will come out. Indeed. So uh, our next story comes from CSO Online. Oh my gosh, we're sounding like a CSO Online shill this week. The title is up to a dozen banks are reportedly investigating potential SWIFT breaches. Yes, you knew that we were going to go back to SWIFT, didn't you? <laughs> so uh, so um, Mandiant or FireEye or ManEye or... Fire Dient or I don't know. Um, Fireman. Fireman. There you go. I like that. Uh, they apparently were called in to investigate the Bangladesh uh, breach, which we have talked about at length. And uh, they apparently are also investigating in, uh, compromises in up to 12 other banks, which, you know, A, tells me that FireEye may have a problem with uh, information leaking out about their ongoing investigations. I have a whole rant I would like to talk to about that, but I'll let you continue the story and I'll circle back around to that one. Sure. Which, by the way, the, we don't actually know who leaked it. It was a source familiar with the investigation. So um, anyway, uh, yeah, so again, we don't know any of the specific details other than that there is uh, apparently... Uh, a whole herd of other banks that are uh, investigating potential breaches. Again, we don't know if this, these were actual breaches or, um, you know, attempts or, or, or whatnot. But it certainly seems like, uh, given this report and some of the other uh, news that's that's been circulating, and I think the Swift, the Swift. Um, the head of Swift actually said this themselves, you know, there's really no central reporting, right? There's no obligation to report breaches. And so, you know, we there really isn't anyone who has a good uh, aggregate view of the landscape to say, you know, is it 10? Is it 50? Is it 100? Is it 1,000? How many breaches has there been? And, uh, I, you know, maybe we're we're going to start to get some sense of, of how common this is. Could be. I. There's also a possibility that Mandian offers a breach detection service that you could hire in without even knowing there's a breach. Basically, they could show up on site and say, all right, look around for evidence of a breach. We don't know there's one, but double check us. So it's possible that some of these 12 banks are just taking a, a in their mind a due diligence step to say, all right, let's do a, a compromise detection activity with Mandian. Uh, but at the same time, I'm incredibly disappointed and and frustrated that the concept of th that the information that FireEye is talking to 12 other banks has been released that can only come from FireEye I mean who else would know that yeah I, 
I was trying to be kind. I, I, <laughs> I, I really want to say shame on FireEye. I, I, you know, when I hire a security consultancy or a security vendor, I expect them to maintain some level of privacy. And this, I think, is completely unethical and inappropriate. Yeah. And this is, by the way, this is a bit of a pattern of behavior we're seeing now from Mandy and FireEye. And they are struggling right now with their stock price and their earnings. And in my mind, the only thing this does in their eyes is benefit their sales activity by saying, look how awesome we are. All these banks are coming to us. You should come to us too. So I can almost promise you this came out of their sales organization. I really doubt the consultants or the people doing the investigations would ever stand for this level of unethical behavior. Wow. Yeah. Pro and I get probably so. I'll, I'll probably never be hired by FireEye now, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I've seen it too often. I worked in sales in the security industry for 10 years, and sales guys cannot help themselves from blabbing about their other customers to to, to other customers. They they don't understand the concept of a non-disclosure agreement. They, they're oblivious in general. This is a generalized statement to maintaining their confidential other customers. They don't even think about it. So it has to be a culture of the organization to continually remind their sales teams, shut the hell up about who else you're working with. And don't be cutesy about it and say, oh, I can't say I'm working with Coke, but I'm working, working with a major, you know, a soda vendor based in Atlanta. You just said the same damn thing. <laughs> and I've seen that shit over and over again where sales guys are out being cutesy and like, oh, look, I'm telling you my secrets. No, you're, you're not ingratiating yourself to another customer. You're displaying your own lack of ethics and integrity. Yeah, and, and I think in, in this particular industry, again, I don't, we don't know exactly where the leak came from, but it, it is really concerning, um, you know, because when you hire a company like that, you're expecting them to exercise uh, a lot of discretion. So, especially when it may, you know, what if these 12 banks hire these guys, like I said earlier, just to come and do a double check? Yeah. And that's very, that's very possible, by the way. I know that, um, that is, that, that is a very responsible thing to do. I think the downside to that is, um, in, in every instance I'm, I've ever been aware of, uh, when you hire someone to do that, something like that, they find something, right? And so just well, be sure. because I mean, they, they found find... something, that doesn't mean that it was, you know, a... Right. <laughs> you know, an... It doesn't mean that the SWIFT uh, terminals are at risk. Right. right. I, I'm not trying to downplay or make excuses. I'm just saying that there's a complete lack of context and, and understanding around this when, when you just sort of leak, oh, we're talking to 12 banks. I just... Yep. Mm. Anyway... Anyway, uh, ho hopefully, uh, hopefully they uh, <laughs> will take that and under hey, advisement. Way, if, if 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 it comes out that that somehow this wasn't FireEye who leaked this, I'm happy to eat my words and go back on my statement. I just I'm having trouble imagining any other source who would know centrally that FireEye is talking to twelve additional banks. Maybe maybe a regulator. Maybe maybe Swift. I don't know. It's maybe? I'm yeah. trying to figure out who else would know that. So I, I guess, you know, it is possible it isn't FireEye, but man, it sure feels like it. Yeah. They're they're the only one that really seems like they would have a 
a, hor- a horse in the race to, to say that right. And I, we've seen some kind of shady stuff out of them before along these lines. So, you know, again, I can't prove it. I don't know it for a fact. Um, but I've seen this behavior out of other organizations and out of other sales teams uh, that, you know, maybe, maybe I just am a little bitter and biased about this, but it sure feels like something slimy sales guy maneuver here. Yeah, and, and by the way, it, it all very likely didn't happen with the, uh, um, e- e- you know, assuming it did happen from a FireEye employee, I highly doubt it was sanctioned. Right. Yeah, you're probably right. And, 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 so, and, and to be clear, I actually, you know, I think they have good people. Like, I know people over at Mandian and FireEye, and I think they're a good company. I would not I would not tell people not to hire Mandian, but they can't be doing this. Yeah. Well, I mean, they are kind of the preeminent yeah. uh, company. I mean, they, they're hired to do this stuff for a reason, but I think you're, you're probably right. It, it does smell like a sales kind of a, a thing. But anyway... Um, you know, I, I, again, I don't think that takes away from their their competence in in uh, handling the investigation. No, I bet, I bet so the consultants are very frustrated by this sort of stuff. I would think so. Yeah. So our last story for today comes from the Register, and the title is "Swift Threatens to Give Insecure Banks a Slap if They Don't Shape Up." And you know, I I've been um, as I've as I've watched this story unfold, one thing that's occurred to me is that Swift, you know, they've made it abundantly clear that they're just like the, the post office, you know, and, and, uh, they're, they're not responsible for the mail that people send to each other. And, you know, yeah, they're getting the black eye and that that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So they're basically, you know, they keep saying, you know, it's not us. We're not getting hacked. It's you know these in these banks who are our customers. So it's got to be in, incredibly frustrating. Assuming that you know this is in fact happening the way we think it is, but um, this is kind of a um, I, you know in in a in a in a way it's a little bit difficult to have sympathy, right? Because you know, okay, yes, you are the you are the male, right? You're the male carrier, right? But you have some, you know, you you've got some moral obligation to recognize that uh, things are happening in the landscape, and and so you know they're taking some the the story here is that the uh, the Swift group is taking some action. They're gonna apparently. Uh, expand whatever this means uh, its use of two-factor authentication which makes a ton of sense given that uh, apparently uh, all of the attacks we've heard about so far have leveraged stolen credentials on swift terminals uh, and they they're also going to be mandating quote baseline security standards um, i assume that that will probably be as effective as PCI is at stopping uh, credit card breaches, but you're, you're 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 stealing all my thunder from my notes. But carry on. <laughs> Sorry. <That's funny>. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that that was. I think that was basically it. Uh, it I, I find it interesting that they use the word expand its use of two-factor authentication, which uh, sort of insinuates that they already have some two-factor options that most people perhaps weren't using, is the way I read that sort of insinuation. Um, yes. 
Yeah, but like you just mentioned, I'm very curious. Okay, so these new baseline standards, uh, who's going to develop them? What are the guidelines? How will they be measured and, enfor and enforced? Are they valid? Are they useful? Or is this going to just be more compliance overhead that banks are, you know, going to do the minimum necessary to avoid problems? And, you know, when you're dealing with a population as broad as they have of, what, 11,000 banks using SWIFT? you're obviously going to have a huge variation in the sophistication uh, and capabilities of security teams all, all around all that. So that could be a huge pain in the neck uh, to, to somehow mandate. And I don't know. I mean, if you look at PCI and you look at the dual mandate of the credit card agencies, they it would hurt their own business if they too heavily enforced PCI and kicked people out of being able to process credit cards. So they typically, in my experience, rely more on fines and, you know, kind of slaps on the wrists than truly kicking them out of, <laughs> you know, pulling their rights or their, their ability to process credit cards. So I wonder if it'd be something like this too. I'm sure Swift makes probably their money off of these transactions. So they're in this tough st tough spot of having to uh, promote use of their network while also securing their network and to say, you know, they're going to, uh, you know, threaten to give these insecure banks, you know, kicking them off the network. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, it does say that the, uh, they, they are, uh, they will suspend the banks who have weak yeah. cyber defenses. And you know, the, the thing that strikes me, and I know I, I went on a went on a crazy rant a couple of weeks ago. I don't think these, you know, this, the swift presence in a, in a given bank. Now, certainly I don't have anything to go on except what's been in the news recently regarded related to this, but it doesn't seem like this is some huge sprawling thing that's deeply entrenched in many systems. It sounds like in general, it's contained to a few dedicated systems at each of the banks. And, and 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 from that perspective, it's kind of frustrating that we're having such apparently such a hard time protecting systems that should be you know on an isolated network in a locked room. I don't, I just don't. I guess, but think about how inefficient that would be if you're a large organization and you're triggering money transfers all day long, all the time. I mean, wouldn't you want API calls into that system out of your main banking application? But I see that's the thing. I don't know that. I don't know that it has that capability. Yeah, that's the, yeah, I mean, we're, maybe we're, it does, but well, we're, I think we're ignorant of it a little. To, but yeah. you got to think that there's that pressure on the back end of Swift too to say, hey, you know, you need. I can't hire a, a banker to just go manually enter these all day. I'm doing twenty thousand a day, you know, or whatever. I, I would I would think that there would be pressure to optimize and automate those sorts of transfers. Maybe so, maybe so. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't. I really don't know enough about the Swift, uh, you know, organization and how they function. The other thing is that it, it seems to be that most of this activity is is all in Southeast Asia. So, and it seems to be that the, the bad guys who are systematically going after this, if it is one indeed one set of bad guys, seem to be centered there and seem to know the Southeast Asia version of this best. So, yeah, and there was a there was a reference. I think it was in this story of. Um... Regarding some malware, maybe it was in, in the other story, regarding some malware that was uh, found on the, I think it was the, the Taiwan 
or the Philippines yeah. bank. And uh, when they when they analyzed the malware, it actually had hard coded credentials included of I think uh, ten or twelve different banks, and uh, including. Like you said, most of them were in Southeast Asia, but I think they had one in New Zealand, one in the Philippines, and then one in the one in Europe and one in the U.S. Um, but we don't know. I, there was really no indication if you know if, if uh, I guess <laughs> I would assume that each of those institutions has been notified that there's malware running around with the, their you know their information hard coded in some malware, but um, and and maybe. Maybe, just maybe, they're the ones who have hired Mandiant to come in and find out if uh, things are going going around in their network. So, Perhaps. <laughs> anyway, um, I think I think we uh, we killed it. We killed Swift for the for this week. I think so. We swiftly killed Swift. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that is the show for this week. Sorry for being uh, you know week behind, but hey, life happens. And uh, thank you again for listening. Thanks to all of our, our uh, Patreon donors. You can find all of the links to the stories we talked about tonight on our website at www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Callen on Twitter at Lurg. I definitely would not recommend following me on Twitter, which is at MaliciousLink, in case you're curious. And, um, you know, if you have any... Uh, is that some sort of weird reverse psychology play you just did there? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, wait till wait till I start up the boycott of the Defensive Security Podcast. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go through the roof. Uh, How would you? Okay. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah, yeah. We're okay. we're gonna we're gonna hire protesters to to picket outside of libraries or something. I don't, I don't know yet. <laughs> Llama farms. Oh, hey, hey, man. hey, yeah, hey, yeah, hey, ho, ho, about... defensive security's got to go. Yeah, the allegations that we mistreat llamas will be coming out soon. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Llamas were harmed in the making of this podcast. Is that is that what you're anticipating? Yep. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, thank you again. And um, with that, we'll talk again next week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, as always, for listening. We'll see you on the Twitter. Bye-bye. Here we go. Today is June 5th, 2015. And wow, let me try that again. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Bye bye. 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 Bye bye.